the 2001 New England Patriots, the team that started an NFL dynasty. In a season full of dramatic twists and turns on and off the field, the upstart Pats shocked the world, redefining what it meant to be a team and a Patriot. 20 years and six Super Bowl championships later, we're revisiting that historic season, hearing from different perspectives that were there to witness it firsthand and tell the tale. From players to coaches, local and national media, and even some fans, mixed with some of the most iconic sounds that define the season, it will be a unique six-part journey back as we follow the roots of the Patriots dynasty to the one championship that started it all. We are all Patriots, and tonight the Patriots are world champions. I'm Mike Dussault, and this is 2001, a Super Bowl sound odyssey. Episode 7, 20 years later. Hello and welcome to Episode 7 of 2001, a Super Bowl sound odyssey. My name is Mike Dussault, and if you're listening to this, I'm hoping you listen to the first six episodes. You relive the 2001 season from start to finish, and now we're producing another episode, which will be one part commentary, one part kind of analysis of the 2001 season and maybe drawing some comparisons to the 2021 season uh, and just kind of an overall overview of, of that season. And, and, you know, you get to hear a little bit of my perspective. And I'm also joined by my colleague, Eric Scalavino, who has been here, a writer uh, for Patriots.com for uh, since 2006. Is that correct, That's Eric? right, yeah. And Eric has some great perspectives. I didn't get a chance to include him in the, in the overall project, but I thought this was a perfect time for the two of us to share a little bit of our perspectives on it. And, of course, I mean, I, you know, posted it and produced it, but never really got a chance to, you know, tell you a little bit about my, what I thought of the season and where I was in my life. So we're going to take you through the whole season highlight some of the bigger moments and you know give our perspectives on them uh, as well as featuring some of the sounds that you heard throughout the series that you know really made an impression on us so Eric to start where is Eric Scalavino in hmm. 2001 as, as a Patriots fan and just professionally in your career well okay in 2001 this is going to knock your socks off I think <laughs> Deuce I, I was working as a television news producer down in Providence my hometown and I used to volunteer to do special projects such as, uh, you know, election night coverage or anything outside the normal broadcast window. And that included Patriots games. And I loved doing that because it was a sport I loved, a team I loved. And so uh, the on-air sports guy who was like the second uh, in line there, he would be the guy who covered the game. So he and I would go up to the games almost every weekend that there was a home game in the 2001 season. So I was here for almost every home game that year and got to see it right from the press box in the old Foxborough Stadium. And then with five minutes left, as they announced for the media, we'd go down to the field and sit or stand in the back end zone. If you're looking at the television, it would be to your left-hand side the, where the tunnels are for the visiting team and, and the Patriots in the old stadium. And we would watch the end of the games from that end zone. And that would come to be a very um, uh, significant end zone later in the season oh, uh, for things that happened. Yes, good foreshadowing there. Uh, so at the time, I was here for many of those games in person. And it, I can just say that the way it unfolded halfway through the year, my buddy and I were just uh, – we didn't think it was going to end the way it did. Let's just put did it that anyone, way. Did anyone, really? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, so you were already in the thick of it. I mean, you know, for me, and, and I think we're, you know, similar in our Patriots fandom of growing up that we 
you know, it was a terrible team for the most part. I mean, I think, you know, for most Patriot fans in the 80s, you had the highlight uh, of their Super Bowl run and, and everything that, that entailed with that, with how exciting it was. Uh, then saw a lot of bad games in oh, the yeah. early 90s. Oh. Bledsoe, of course, arrived. And, you know, I think that kind of set the, the stage for this 2001 season. And, you know, going into the project, I really want to make sure that Drew Bledsoe got his due. And, you know, I think obviously there are plenty of moments throughout the season um, where Drew uh, did get his due. And, and certainly the, the Pittsburgh game stood out, loved what, you know, a lot of people had to say. But, you know, for me personally, I had graduated from college in 99. I had moved out to Los Angeles. I was going to Patriot games at, 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 to watch Patriot games at Sonny McLean's in Santa Monica, uh, you know, getting there bright and early. At 10 a.m. is the game start time. So you'd be yep. there at 9 o'clock. A lot of 1 o'clock kickoffs here in the East Coast. You think, ah, I'm not going to drink at all. And then by about, you know, kickoff coming, like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'll have a beer. Uh, but it was it was an interesting season because, of course, you know, they started winning. And I'm like, of course, I moved to California and this is when <laughs> they start to win. So uh, but I think going into the season, as you said, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really paying attention during the offseason to the Patriots at that point. It was uh, and obviously, as, as you know, as we laid out in episode one and Scott Pioli did such a great job of, you know, talking about what the philosophy was of the team going into that season. The core philosophy was that we were going to go out and find good players that maybe weren't household names at, at you know, good contracts. And we felt like we knew the league and the players in the league very well in terms of our, our pro personnel scouting background. Um, and I don't mean just me. I'm talking about our coaching staff as well. And the what we were going to try to do was bring in good players that – fit bill system that we were giving an opportunity to and if they succeeded we were going to reward them so you know the core philosophy was to go out and get good football players that could play in Bill's system but also be a part of the culture that we were creating um because the culture is extremely demanding it's exhausting um and it's rewarding and we had to go out and find players who had the personality and the makeup that matched how we wanted to be as a football team. And you brought in a lot of free agents, which, of course, a lot of people drew comparisons this year to the mm -hmm. 2021 team of the you know free agent class that they brought in. And really, I mean, I think we're still kind of waiting to see how that plays out. But, of course, in that 2001 team, they found a lot of good players that, you know, maybe even if they weren't big names – uh, they played roles, Larry Izzo, you know, guys who came in and, and really established, I think, what we'd go on to see uh, over the next 20 years in terms of, you know, maybe not this high-priced, big-name guy, but guys that could play the way mm -hmm. they wanted them to, and they certainly hit gold on that on that free agency class. Oh, they certainly did. And But I don't think any of us really appreciated at the time how talented a lot of those guys were. And there was still there was a good mix of younger veterans and more established veterans who were sort of holdovers from the Parcells Belichick era of uh, the Jets, the Giants, uh, you know that sort of time frame. And I think we just kind of thought like, oh, you know, that's the typical head coach bringing guys he knows and guys he likes. And it worked for Parcells in the you know in the mid '90s there when he when he took over and he had Bledsoe and he brought a lot of the old Giants guys in here and they won pretty quickly um but i think you know especially the way the season started out one uh, you know one and three 
Bledsoe goes down, and you're thinking, this is a, not only a potential catastrophe, Belichick might not keep his job at the end of this. He might not even keep his job through the season. At that time, that's what a lot of people were kind of thinking. Right. Because you lost your million, $100 million franchise quarterback to an injury. You know, you were, had a terrible record. You had this young kid in his second year, and some of us were completely thrown off that he was even in there at all. Hey, look, at we had Tommy and Damon Ewart, so I still had two really good guys in a room. And we, we just, you know, we just started, we took baby steps, you know, and then we grew from there. And the more, the more he showed he could handle, the more we did. It was such a rough start to the season. There's, I don't think anybody outside of this own this football team could have envisioned that they had a chance to do anything like they did. Yeah, and, and at that time, it, it almost felt kind of like par for the course. Like, you had no expectations. I, I mean, totally. you, were, you were like, I guess we're uh, not going to make the, the playoffs this year. Right. You know, maybe it's going to be another one of those two or one win seasons. But uh, I, I really uh, like the connection, of course, that you have. You know, Rhode Island native. You mm-hmm. love Rhodey. Um, and this was uh, the last season that the Patriots were at Bryant College, right. which uh, was where they held their training camp. There are plenty of stories all over the place that, that came out of Bryant, but this was the last one. And, and you know, before they moved here, the new stadium was you know being built, and they have the facilities here now. But um, I'm sure you pl- spent plenty of time at Bryant I College. Did. I did, as, as especially as a, as a kid. I mean, I, I was – I wouldn't say I was um, a rabid football fan – or I wouldn't say I was a rabid Patriots fan as a kid because I didn't really know that we had a team around here. That was back in like the late 70s, early 80s when, you know, the late 70s, they were pretty good. But I was football, pro football wasn't really on my radar at that time. I was a kid. I was playing soccer. I was more into, you know, school and soccer and other things. And my dad loved football, too. So when we turn on the TV, the Dallas Cowboys were always on television. Uh, and so I kind of was like, oh, I, th- I think I like the Cowboys. I think I'm a Cowboys fan. And then as I got a little bit older, maybe 9, 10, 11 years old, my dad was like, you know, he'd show me the sports page. And I'm like, I'm seeing pictures of this team in red, and it says Smithfield on it. I'm like, what is- Dad, what is this? We have a football team? And he's like, yeah, the, the Patriots. They play up in Foxborough. It's only half hour away, but they, they, their training camp is right down the street here. We live 10 minutes away from Bryant College. He would take – he and my mom would take me to go see – training camp in august and this was back before uh, you know the the velvet ropes and keeping people at bay and like we were literally a few feet away from the practice field and then at the end of practice literally when the final whistle blew they would take the ropes down we could walk onto the field and go up to any player and ask for autographs and so to see them up close at bryant college really made it personal for me yeah and that last year that 2001 year like, there was a little bit of hope that, okay, maybe maybe they can be good. Maybe that we can make a playoff push yeah. just to get in the playoffs this year. Because they were coming off, what were they, 5-11 and 11 the previous year? I believe so, yeah. And you thought, okay, they've added some things. Belichick's in his second year. Bledsoe, well-established as yeah, the guy now's here. The time. Now's the time. Bledsoe's already been to a Super Bowl at this point. They can do it again. They can turn around. They can be a playoff contender. That's kind of how we thought of it going into the year. And I mentioned before about my buddy from the TV station. We would we would cover the games, but we weren't covering training camp that year, so we had no idea that there was a backup quarterback sort of, not really controversy, but a, a situation. Yeah, well, somebody making a push. Somebody making was how, a, yeah. how how some of the beat reporters talked about, you know, watching. My memories of Tom were like carrying Drew's Drew shoulder pads and Damon Heward shoulder pads, like he was like. 
like an afterthought, not just to us, but to the staff, which went out and got a number two veteran quarterback. You know, there's one part I wanted to talk about, too, because this was something that I, I wish I had an opportunity to dive more into. And, and that was, unfortunately, the, the passing away of Dick Rabine, the, yeah. the quarterback's coach. Sad news today out of Foxborough, the quarterback coach Dick Rabine died of heart failure at Mass General Hospital today. He's only 45 years old. You know, and in a lot of seasons, this would have been the, the biggest thing that happened to a team. Uh, you know, a, a coach passing away, uh, you know, just at the towards the end of training camp. You know, looking back now, you know, does it seem like that is something that that is kind of, you know, and not all respect to him, of course. And, and you know, Brady talked about how much he meant to, to Tom Brady's development. But it's just uh, I guess in a way it's a little sad that, you know, someone someone passed away at the beginning of the season. And, and that almost became a footnote into a season that had just incredible ups and downs throughout. And you know why it's even sadder, uh, Deuce, is that I think if it weren't for Dick Rabine, the Patriots might not have drafted Tom Brady. You know, we've heard plenty of stories over the years about how Belichick was sort of like lukewarm about, eh, okay, we kind of need a quarterback. I'm so-so about this Brady kid. And Dick Rabine, as we understand it, was the guy who really was like, look, I know what I'm talking about. I believe in this kid. We got to take He's available at this late stage. We got to take him. We got to take him. So if it weren't for him and his belief in Brady – None of this probably ever happens. Yeah. So absolutely. think about, put that in perspective for a second. And like, who would have taken Brady? Would he have even been drafted? Would he have been a, an undrafted rookie somewhere? Would he have ever become what he's become? I think you have to look at Dick Rabine and say, you can't forget about him because without, he was a key component to this team being who they are. So they wrap up training camp, uh, the, the opening game, a, a lackluster loss to, to Tough the Cincinnati loss. Bengals. Yeah. Uh, you know, hey, well, I'll do respect to the Bengals now. They're, they're making a little playoff run, but. Um, you know, 9-11, of course, happens. And, and, you know, for me, putting the project together, you know, getting the chance to talk to Joe Andrewsy, uh mm. and for him to just, you know, really, it was um, the emotion just was such still an there. interesting interview yeah. to just let – I couldn't believe how he laid right into it, uh, laid the whole story out. Obviously, we had to do a little bit of editing on the episode. Um, but, you know, for the Patriots to have such a connection to the tragedy of 9-11 – um, you know, directly to the to, to multiple firefighters, of course, his brothers, um, you know, we're all we're all in and around the scene. Uh, and I mean, just the I, I had never heard when he relayed the story that, you know, his brother said held his fingers just a little. That's how close it was mm. getting out of one of the towers. And, uh, I know this is not a video or anything, but my brother holding his index and his thumb together when I first ran into him at my parents house and, you know, holding it close together and saying that's how close he was to death. And, he was running out of Tower 1 when it was falling behind him. And, you know, it still gives me chills to even talk about it and mention it. But, like I said, I can never fathom what he or any of his colleagues or even my brothers went through in the day of and the days leading afterwards. It's just, it's impossible to separate 9-11, the Patriots, Joe Andrewsy, and, of course, just that moment of him running out of the tunnel that has really become... You know, not just an iconic moment for the Patriots, but I think really just the NFL in general right. of patriotism, of, you know, what what that kind of meant to everybody uh, in that moment. Uh, it was just 
it's amazing what happened in that game afterwards, but the buildup itself was probably enough to, to tell a whole story, which it clearly was. And, I mean, how poetic that they were playing in their first game after 9-11. They're playing not only Joe Andrews's hometown team, but his hometown team is from New York, which took the, the brunt of the 9-11 attacks. Yep. But they're playing a team called the Jets after 9-11 and what – you know, jetliners meant yeah. at that point they became you know a byword for terrorism. That point and just the 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 s- there's so many tie-ins to that game and the emotion and that was one of the the games that that I was fortunate to attend. A coincidental story about week two that year was supposed to be Patriots at Carolina. What a difference that might have made in the season if that hadn't happened and if they did play that game and you know. Bledsoe maybe doesn't get hurt and just all the the butterfly effect of that Um, but I think it was just more poignant that they come back and play their second game against the Jets right after 9-11 I mean it was a it was a turning point for the country having football back after that week and it was certainly the turning point in this organization's history yeah it's 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 hard to imagine uh, sports and a national tragedy intersecting like this with just a team like named the patriots right amazing how how that all happened right now uh, by the way i want to point out that uh, former new york city police officer uh, bill andrusi and his three sons who are new york city firefighters are at midfield with their brother, Joe Andrusi, the Patriots guard. Of course, then you get into the game. It's another, man, these Patriots don't look too hot, uh, you know, struggling against the Jets. And um, I, I got to give my producer, Matt Morell, who did a fantastic job on, you know, pu- putting all of the audio together for this. You know, I got to admit, when I see all the highlights of Drew so getting lit up by Mo Lewis, I always was like, I mean, it looks like a hard hit, but people describe it like it was, you know, the biggest hit they'd ever seen. The hit Mo Lewis put on Drew Bledsoe, like you can hear it when you watch the NFL Films clip, and most people have only experienced it through social media now. When you were there, it sounded like somebody dropped like a salad bowl full of bricks right in front of you on the bench. Like it was so loud. It was like a small car accident. And I was on the opposite side of the stadium, and I heard that, and you watch Bledsoe go down, and there was a <gasps> from everybody. Like everybody knew like, oh no. So I didn't. I don't think it really fully hit me until Matt Morell pulled the actual the audio audio of the radio broadcast. Bledsoe deep drop steps up now rolls to the right now he's going to have to run at the 20, 25, 30. Oh, and Muck got a bounds right at the stick, but I don't think he made the first down. He got whacked over on the far side. As he tried to run the 10 yards for the first down, and I'm not sure he down. he's going to get up on this one. He, uh, he really got hit. You can hear it. You hear the smack. And I, that, to me, the realization of, wait, was that Bledsoe getting hit? That huge crash I heard? 25, 30, oh! That really, to me, put it into, into perspective of, of really how hard the hit was. I mean, you were there. I don't know if you heard it, but I feel like that sound kind of sent a signal to the whole stadium that this is this is serious. Well, I think, you know, the radio broadcasts have what are called parabolic mics. They have these guys standing. You've seen them. They're guys that stand on the sideline. With the, they look like these, these round, circular, uh, just giant microphones, and they basically hold them to get the ambient sound of, you know, you hear the quarterback's cadence, and you hear the, the crashing of the helmets and the pads at the line of scrimmage. 
And that hit took place right near a guy with a parabolic mic. So it, it jumped out even more on the radio broadcast. Mm-hmm. Now, from our perspective, we were sitting in the press box, which is on the opposite sideline, several rows up. So we saw the hit, but, you know, you're hearing it's a cheering crowd. You didn't hear it. We just thought, oh, Bledsoe gets knocked out of bounds. And then we're like, why is he not getting up? What's going on over there? There's people crowding around. And, like, it didn't register that it was that big a hit to us at the time. It only registered when we saw Tom Brady come out later on. And we're like, I mean, I do believe Drew came in for another snap or two. He did, yeah. He handed it off a few times. Right. So we were like, okay. They fumbled it. He took a hit. Okay, he's fine. We didn't think anything of it. And then the next series after that, I think, was when we see number 12 come trotting on the field. Tom Brady's in the game. He is. You're right. Drew Bledsoe is not in the ball game. My, My buddy and I from the TV station look at each other and like, what is going on? Why are they putting the third-string quarterback in? Because we had no idea that, Drew, uh, that Brady had become the number two quarterback here. Like I said, we, had, we, we didn't cover training camp on a daily basis, so we weren't privy to the minutia of, ooh, there's a, there's a backup quarterback duel going on here, and there's this young— yeah, Three uh, beat two. Right. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't really think about it. Also because Drew was the guy. We never anticipated that there would be anybody other than Drew taking a snap for this team after he'd signed that monstrous contract. And he was clearly the most you know, high-profile player in the franchise's history. Why is a six-round pick from last year coming onto the field? We didn't really register what was going on at the time. I, don't, I mean, and I don't think a lot of people did. And, I mean, certainly the beat, beat writers that we talked to who watched training camp, Tommy Curran, Perillo, our friend, of course, uh, you know, they, they, they saw something going on, but before the days of the Internet, before the days of, you know, tweeting out your, your camp observations, you really had to go and probably dig to find those things. No, I did not think that Drew Bledsoe was the guy. Drew Bledsoe was the hood ornament on CMGI Field. In September of 2000, I spoke to people who indicated to me that Robert Kraft was having some reservations as to whether or not he wanted to go ahead with Drew Bledsoe. And... He ultimately did. But, you know, Brady comes in, throws a couple passes. He becomes the guy. I mean, I, and, and I think just in retrospect, y- you know what the Patriots and the Colts rivalry was to become over the next you know, decade, at least with, with Brady and Manning. Mm. And it's amazing in retrospect that, you know, they put up 44 points on the Colts. Of course, that was, you know, powered defensively. by defensive. Yep. So I think you see a little bit of. That veteran defense starting to emerge. You heard some of the players, uh, you know, during during the show talk about, you know, the, the the pressure to step up a little bit. Hey, we got a young quarterback. It's like any other young quarterback coming in, get, getting getting your feet wet. Um, you know, you don't want to put too much on him, but you know, you try to bring him along slowly. Antoine Smith becomes a focus with his running uh, former AFC East guy with the Bills, who you know still has something to prove. It, they got two wins over the ran, over the Colts that year. Uh, what a, what a crazy start to Brady Manning! That that that's how it kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Brady's first start thrust into the flames, and his defense kind of carried them to the win, and kind of maybe gave you a little bit of hope of hey, we've got these veteran defenders. Maybe, maybe they can at least hold the fort. I don't think anyone believed just yet that Tom Brady was going to be the guy that he was going to win the job. But I think what was apparent, and we and I think this is why people drew comparisons back to this season this year was you've got an inexperienced quarterback coming in this was the formula in this first game the defense has got to produce takeaways the quarterback has does not produce any giveaways uh 
as Tommy Curran put in, 10 and 2, keep it steering straight. It was a resounding victory for the Patriots. Brady mostly had his hands at 10 and 2 and just got the car out of the garage, down the street, and back to the garage. And that was a sense after that game. Well, at least he didn't wreck the family car. You know, did you have any feeling there at the beginning of that when, when Tom Brady kind of took over? I mean, we didn't know what was to come, of course. Um, but at least it maybe gave us a little bit of hope there at that point in the season. I don't even know if I was yet like – I might have checked out at this point and been like, ah, oh, the backup, Bledsoe's out, I'll, I'll see what happens down the road. But um, just an interesting first game for Brady to start it was such a foreshadow of things to come. It was, and uh, the funny thing about it was – you mentioned that they beat the Colts twice that year. Uh, that was back when the Colts were part of the AFC East, and this was before the 2002 realignment. Um, there were five teams in the AFC East. The Colts were that, that fifth team. And even in the bad years of the Patriots that you and I lived through as youngsters, you could always count on the Patriots beating the Colts to get that one win or the 2-14, and 14, the 1-15 in 15 years. That was the Colts. You knew, okay, we got a chance against these guys. So when they dropped 44 points on Manning, like Manning wasn't Manning at the time either. Young um, Manning. You know, he's, he's a young very Manning. young Manning. <laughs> wasn't spokesperson Manning. Um, you just thought, to us, it was just like, well, that's just us beating up on the Colts like we always do, even mm -hmm. in bad years. Even a young quarterback like Tom Brady can come in and beat up on the Colts. Great. You know, that's all kind of we thought about that game. We didn't have any sort of um, – projection that this was going to be something we were going to see a lot of over the next uh, 10 plus years between those two guys yeah um but i like the comparison you make about how the 2021 team had a young quarterback with some new free agents that came in and an established somewhat defense and you kind of figured okay that's going to be the formula to win and for a while in 2021 that was the formula um now, we all know the way this season ended. Right. But Polar opposites right. of but, the endings. But I think you saw the same type of steady game management-like progress from Mac Jones this year that you kind of saw with Brady. The difference was, I think, a couple of weeks later yeah, Miami, against, well, yeah. against Miami, but against the Chargers in particular, when the Patriots are down late and it's up to the young kid to bring them back. Brady was showing us something right off the bat uh, with that Charger game that yeah, uh, I, I, it, if we're down two scores, I can bring you back. Right. And that was something that kind of opened our eyes a little bit to like, how was he doing? And I think the Chargers had Doug Flutie at the time, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Correct. So Brady beat Doug Flutie, who at the time we were thinking, oh, the Chargers got Flutie. This is not going to be a game. And then we, I'm actually in Tennessee. I'm at the Titans game. They were playing the Bucks, I believe. That was our, our alternate road game that year. Instead of the Patriots, we went on a trip when the skies opened up again. So we're sitting in what's now Nissan Stadium watching the scores pop up, and we're seeing the Patriots come back late in the game, and we're like, oh, my God, Brady is making them come back in this game. That's when we first kind of thought, like, wow, is this kid going to do something yeah. special? Like, how does he come back from that? This is Brady we're talking about, not Bledsoe. Brady, you know, came in there and we won and I remember the optimism of of uh Mr. Kraft you know he was so optimistic yeah, this could be the guy and I'm thinking oh yeah but I'm like man I don't know <laughs> but sure enough he, he was right he was the guy and uh but all of Brady's hard work paid off like uh you know he obviously such an overachieve you know a guy that just made himself great but uh 
he had great coaching along the way, but he's he was really special. So that was my first inkling that there might be something, and special maybe a big word yeah, here, something but brewing. something. Yeah. Hey, maybe we have a nice backup quarterback here. <laughs> That's kind of what I thought at the time. Well, it's crazy because you know against the Colts that that first start 159 passing yards, the next week against Miami 69. I mean, and 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 I think that's what was really interesting to me about the season. We mentioned the Colts, uh, how a lot of what happened in the season, not just what, it, it, for, it foreshadowed a lot of what was going to happen. Yeah. And and the style of games, the loss in Miami, 30 to 10, three turnovers, you know, you kind right. of fall back to earth. But then, as you mentioned, I think that that Chargers game, certainly one where you started to believe. I mean, you know, throws for 345 yards. What would have made you think going into that game that all of a sudden he was going to explode? Um, but then you go into the next game. You go you, another quick rematch with the Colts, and, and this is probably a good time to bring up, um, you know, David Patton, who, mm -hmm. as we were putting this project together, uh, you know, Matt Smith and, and Brian Mori put together Pats from the past. They did a great interview with David Patton, um, where he touched on a lot of the stuff. And then, unfortunately, uh, you know, the accident happened while we were producing the podcast, mm -hmm. and, and he passed away, um, which just made it even more haunting kind of listening to him and and a lot of the things that he says during the podcast and they, and they got a lot of great stuff from him um that that i you know felt that i had to include and you know and this game was was you know the game of his career uh, yeah. you know how he scored the touchdowns everyone can't be the the all-american every every player can't get the accolades every player can't make it to the hall of fame but to say that i did something that two hall of famers did you know, that, that, that's really humbling and that makes me feel pretty good because that's just it. When I, when I was given my opportunities, I always felt like I could be an 80 catch, 90 catch receiver any given season, but that just wasn't my role. And that was, you know, one of those first instances. A lot of things were starting to happen with this team that, you know, felt a little out of the norm. Maybe like you said, maybe there's something special. I don't know, but there's something. And then this happens. Things, special things are really kind of starting to happen with, with Patton and, and Indy. Because, especially Deuce, with the history that I was used to as a Patriots fan, things never went their way. Okay, they broke their way in 85 to get to the Super Bowl, and then they get clobbered. Wah, wah. They broke their way in 96, 97, when they went to the Super Bowl with Parcells, and then they faced the onslaught of the Packers and wah, wah, right? We were used to things not going their way. So even when things were breaking their way, you knew there was eventually going to be another shoe that was going to drop, and it was going to drop big time. So you're right. We started seeing, like, hey, this is unusual. Things are kind of going our way a little bit. But no. <laughs> right. That's no. The, that's the Boston, New England in you coming Can't out. Can't be. Now, of course, we're at this point now. And, and, again, you talk about the loss of Miami. They go to, to Denver, and they lose. That's another place that Brady – yeah, always had problems Miami throughout his career. Yep. Struggle. I thought, you know, there were some really interesting uh, comments, especially Damian Woody talking about that. I remember talking to Damian Woody in the locker room after the game, and he sort of explained it. This game was different. There was an anger because we felt like we let one slip away today. And that, to me, was the day they decided, hey, we're pretty good. We can play with anyone. If we can go out to Denver, play a C-plus game, and still have a chance to win – we can compete with anybody. You know, you're three and four on the season, but they felt coming back like, you know, hey, we, we got something here. If we, even when we didn't play our best, we were still kind of in it. Um, and that really began 
a win streak. You get to see, you know, Mike Vick, get to see a little bit of him in Atlanta. They knock them off. Uh, they go to Buffalo, get a tough win there, as always. I mean, again, talk about recurring themes, Buffalo. And then, you know, we get to the Rams game, which was, you know, again, a, a highlight. And I think in the historical context of this season, I think everybody kind of has known at this point, like, yeah, that was the game where they figured out that they got to hang with a good Super Bowl champion type team. <laughs> um, but I think as in the process of doing the podcast and really drilling down on it, and, 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 you know, what was it exactly? It was, you know, the physicality that they brought, um, you know, the, the, the resilience that, that they showed throughout that game. But, you know, to hang with the Super Bowl champs and, and you know, it's, it's funny because nowadays there's, there's no more. There's no victories like that. Like the Patriots don't lose games now. And you're like, well, we hung with them. Mm. I mean, maybe we, we, we've thirded with that last year in 2020 a tiny bit. Um, but it just shows how different the team was. This will be the last time that they would lose. Uh, and it's just such a, 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 I guess, probably maybe one of the most famous losses, non-Super Bowl losses in Patriots history, at least regular season-wise, uh, that really kind of seemed to fortify the team and get them focused on their end goal, and they, they didn't lose again. It, they didn't, and it's funny that you put it that way because I, I was at the game covering it uh, with my uh, on-air reporter from the TV station, and we're sitting in our usual spot uh, in the press box, Looking forward to this game all week, like you said, the defending Super Bowl champs, the greatest show on turf, uh, the hype of, I believe it was a Sunday night game. Uh, it, so much drama leading up to that game that week, a lot of hype, and they played their hearts out, the Patriots. And at the end of it, they came up just short, and I look at my buddy at the final whistle, and we both had the same thought at the same time, and we both expressed it to each other simultaneously and we said this team's not going to win another game this year because our thinking was they just played the game of their life they played the best they could possibly play the Rams didn't quite play their best left some points on the field and still beat you mm -hmm. so how could you possibly like yeah okay it was nice you were at home you had the home crowd you played they're your hearts out they're a dome team they, they're not as good they're not as away good. from the dome right and they still beat you so we're like if that's the best they can do, and we look, we're looking at the schedule and we're thinking they're not going to win any more games this year. <laughs> we had just the opposite thought that the Patriots themselves did, and thank God because th they're the ones on the field doing it. But it's just so ironic that they did the opposite of what we expected. They didn't lose another game that year. Belichick turned the entire organization around when he went up in front of the team after losing that night game, and this is the First time he ever was super positive with the guys in like that year and six weeks or whatever it was, when he stepped up and he goes, I'll tell you what, that game's on me. I blew it. I blew this game. No question. It was me. He goes, if you guys play as hard as you did in this game every week, and if we coach as hard as we did like we did this week, we'll see him again. We'll see that team again. And sure as hell, we did. They didn't. So they, they started rolling them off at that point. They, they beat the Saints 34-17, roll them. Uh, a one-point win over the Jets, as always. You know, these divisional games often close. Cleveland uh, squeak out an overtime win over the Bills again at Buffalo. You know, this is it's just prime example of, of dynasty Patriots that no matter how good they are, they're headed to a Super Bowl. It was always kind of, you know, there are a lot of plenty of games that were tough against Buffalo you get that weird late bye week, yep. uh, which I guess we got a little bit of a flavor of this season. Uh, and then they go down and absolutely hammer the Panthers. Um, you know, I think one of my favorite parts of the whole of the whole podcast were the stories 
about them flying back and watching on TV and knowing if the Jets and Raiders go, oh, yeah. if the Jets pull out the win, yep. Charlie Weiss watching it on his TV, uh, you know, Damian Woody was, was great saying, so, you know, I think the drinks did flow yes. on that flight. Uh, they end up getting a late, you know, a late buy. I mean, almost sneaking into the buy, which, you know, I mean, these days with one buy, never, never going to happen. You're never going to sneak slip into the buy like that. But what an ending to the season, you know, rolling off six straight wins, getting into the playoffs, getting the bye, and securing another extra game at, at Foxborough Stadium, which, you know, I think the the game against Miami, too, the second-to-last game, which they mm-hmm. won 2013, I think that was a little bit of an underrated game considering, uh, you know, what was at stake. And, the, you know, they, they, Miami played them tough and, you know, obviously it hammered them earlier in the season, 30-10. to 10. Uh, I, That was one that was a little bit of an underrated victory for me um, when you look back at the season. But overall, they really took that Saints game, turned it around, and, you know, headed towards the playoffs. And I think I'm glad you brought that game up in particular because that's the one coming off the Rams loss. And I believe, if my memory is right, that was the week that Belichick declared Brady was going to be the starter going forward, Mm -hmm. regardless of Drew's health status. My job is to make the decisions for the football team, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the best decisions I can for the football team. That's That's what Mr. Kraft's paying me to do, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the decisions that I think are the best for the football team. T-E-A-M as in team. And I remember famously, you know, our colleague Paul Perillo uh, in that locker room scrum with Bledsoe asking him about that. And next question, you know, and like you could tell Drew was seething because he was a competitor and he didn't want to lose his job. And who is this kid to take my job? Like we were all flabbergasted at that point. But look what Brady did with that opportunity. That vote of confidence, I think that win over the of the Saints speaks to, again, foreshadowing what was to come with Brady. Like, this is your team now, Tom. Go get it. Go get it. And he did. And little did we know. Well, the, the playoffs begin, and, and I'm glad earlier you brought up, you know, the impression that it had getting to go to Bryant and interact mm-hmm. with the players. And, you know, and I still remember crystal clear as day, the first Patriots game that I ever went to, you know, in the old stadium – um, and I just remember, you know, the old stadium was closer to Route One than the stadium is now. So when you would come up, yeah, much closer from the yep. south side, it just looked like a castle on a hill to Absolutely. me. Absolutely, you know, it yep. was just towering. It wasn't a big stadium. The big um, lights overlooking the, the big lights. Yeah. Uh, it was also one of the scariest places I've ever been, which I think I, I, I I've said on on uh, because of the fans in the, in the stands. I mean, yeah. it was a free for all there. <laughs> I, if, it you, was. if you didn't get to go to a game, I mean, now Ooh. you're. You got Trader Joe's, Five Guys. It's like you know, family outing here mm-hmm. around Gillette Stadium. Uh, but at that time, it was fights, a rough crowd. Lots of fights, people, drunk people, handcuffs. Yep, <laughs> you, lots you, of it. it. It was not exactly the most family-friendly environment. But in retrospect, I have such a you know fond memories of of just getting to see the NFL atmosphere for the first time in, in that stadium, and and went to quite a few games there. How cool was it that this final game in in Foxborough Stadium? Was in the middle of a blizzard. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Oh, my God. I, I You know me. I love the snow. And uh, I got to go to that game as well, covering it for the TV station. And there was uh, there were so many press uh, who were credentialed for that game that they had to build an auxiliary press box out in the parking lot. They basically set up a big tent. Was through, Paul out there in the uh, auxiliary? Paul was not. <laughs> that's usually where Paul gets put, but no. Uh, it was uh, just a handful of us. And they set up, you know, big screen TV, heaters. So we're out in this snowstorm covered by the tent, but we're watching it from the parking lot. 
and we can hear like the crowd roaring, but we're watching it on on television. I mean, that's one of those Mother Nature came in and gave an assist big time for that game and for it to be the last game at that stadium a lot of like you said a lot of a lot of bad memories but also a lot of um poignant ones too like when you're a kid everything seems just so larger than life and that stadium as crummy as the seats were as cinder blocky as it kind of seemed and you know high schoolish it was still our stadium it was the stadium we grew up in and for it to go out in that fashion was uh, i mean it, it was so surreal it felt like you know those little snow globes that you shake up and the snow just kind of like softly falls that's how the snow was falling yeah, that night magical it was bit. very magical and it felt like am i really witnessing this is this a dream like you know this kind of like a magical experience and uh, the whole field was covered it was probably the most fun i had in the game ever yeah. Am, I, am I really watching the Patriots do this? Have this season, have the end of Foxborough Stadium be this game, this type of game against like a high-powered Raiders team? This can't be ha- – I have to be dreaming, and, and right? That, yeah, and that's what's kind of funny about this game in retrospect is, is I mean, it's, it's one of the most famous games in, in certainly Patriots history and, and as well as in NFL history – but largely uneventful until about the last three minutes of the yep. game. I mean, that's really where all of a sudden you just have, you know, the Patriots, they, they finally managed to put together a touchdown drive. Brady, you know, slides into the end, or I guess he doesn't oh, slide. He, yeah. he spikes it, and then he slides. Um, setting up, you know, at first I think the the, the play that I, I was glad to get Rob Ryan to talk about was just, you know, the, the, the stop, the yeah. third down stop towards the end of the game. Uh, you know, it really had Mike Lombardi talking about it. You know, we had a run that we called. Charlie Gardner, you know, breaks out into the open. And, uh, you know, we if he goes right, he scores. If he goes left, he probably gets the first down. He goes right up John Ritchie's back. And, you know, we don't get the first down. Everybody walking through those plays where, you know, and, and you, you compare it to this season where when the Patriots were getting wins, they're getting stops at the end. They're getting that key stop, and and this stop by Richard Seymour and and Brian Cox, and you know you got to give credit to the whole defensive front, but you know to force a punt in that situation just to set up the opportunity for Adam Vinatieri to make one of the longest, hardest, most impossible kicks in NFL history. The um, kick, the kick of, but in football, I mean a, that a play and, that couldn't be lost. Yeah. And, that that led into then right. that kick. You know what a way to just cap off that stadium with, with, with an all-time NFL play. Oh, I mean, for all the terrible play you saw there over the years, it was finally defined by one of the greatest plays of all time. It was, and just a few minutes earlier, we thought that it was going to end on one of the most disappointing plays we'd ever seen. Snow continues to come down. Brady calling signals. The direct snap to Brady. Standing in there. Looks to the left, loses the football. It's on the ground, and let's see if it's a fumble or a pass attempt. I believe it's going to be called a fumble. It is. A fumble, and the Oakland Raiders recover. And then the tuck rule gets uh, brought back in. And we were all, again, uh, as a media contingent down in that end zone, we're kind of like looking around at each other because, yes, the tuck rule had been called before on very rare occasions. None of us, as, you know, ardent a football fan as we were and as, 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 um, uh, as diligent a reporter as we were, we weren't thinking of the tuck rule. We saw it from Brady's back. So we, we're looking at Brady's back as he's getting hit, and we're thinking, uh, this is how this season is going to end with that? 
and we're a whimper. Yeah, just an absolute whimper. Right. And then again, the magical snow, kind of like you know Frosty when he puts the hat on, and like <laughs> the magical Christmas Happy wind comes Year. in. Right. Hey, the game's not <laughs> over. You know, that's kind of how it felt. Like what, Walt Coleman? Are you serious? Yeah. We have the ball still. I, I mean, and I think everybody from the players that were on the field. Uh, obviously, a lot of the people that were in the stadium had completely different experiences than people watching on TV, uh, because probably a large portion couldn't even see the tuck as well. But I think everybody thought it's a fumble. Yeah. You know, and that and it's an obscure rule since been done away with. And you know, some of the players mentioned it had happened earlier in the season yep. against the Jets. But as you said, extremely rare. No, it's not popping to the forefront of anybody's no. mind when that play happened. Um, again, you know, you're just you're you're adding on to all these different plays that you know they just made another special about the tuck rule on mm. ESPN. Uh, plays that will go down in history. Uh, what was your perspective on the kick? <laughs> Well, I and you're outside the stadium. I, listening? No, I was actually in the stadium, but I saw the kick and didn't see it at the same time. And I'll explain. Uh, I told you before about how in the old stadium at the last five minutes, reporters get to go and stand in the end zone where uh, the ramps to the Patriots and the visitors locker room are. And that looking at your TV screen is to the left. Adam's kick was at the end zone to your right. If you're looking at it on the TV screen. So. The snow is coming down. It's dark. It's a little foggy, misty in the air. And I can see clearly Adam, Ken Walter, Lonnie Paxton. I can see the line. I can see the snap, the hold, the kick. The kick goes up and just disappears into the snow. We couldn't see the uprights at the other end of the field. All we heard was the crowd roaring, and we said, he made it. He must have made it. We couldn't see it. We didn't know. We were at the other end zone. And it was impossible to see through the snowflakes flying. So we're just like looking at each other dumbfounded like that was 45 yards, wasn't it? In the in like three or four inches of snow. Impossible kick to make. Uh, and he makes it crazy. Uh, and I love the perspectives. I mean, we've got, you know, Jermaine Wiggins on the field talking about, man, just don't let me be the guy that blows it. Mm. For me, I was on the field goal protection team. So I was the wing um, the in the wing position, which is kind of like right behind where the tight end is. And so, you know, you're always like, all right, I don't want to be the guy that holds somebody or doesn't block the right guy. And, you know, he gets through and, and blocks the kick. And I forget, it was like Charles Woodson. I forget who else. It was a bunch of plays. And I, I'm like, man, did they put the whole team over here? And luckily, a couple of those guys at the snap of the ball, they slipped because of the field conditions. So it kind of took a little bit of the pressure off me. Um, you know, making sure that I didn't cause no holding or, or I wasn't the guy that, you know, missed the block. And when that kick went through, it was just like, man, you, you know, it was spectacular. Both of those kicks, but the one to send us into overtime, if you go back and look at that one, that one was that one was tremendous. What can you say about the kick? I mean, it's just and now it's uh, memorialized up in the middle of, uh, <laughs> of a store place. in Patriots yeah. Place, uh, which, you know, maybe if, you, if you're visiting, that'll give you a sense of perspective of how close the stadium was to, to the highway back then. But uh, still needed, uh, of course, another kick in overtime, uh, which, you know, maybe maybe a little bit less difficult, but still um, just a remarkable win overall against a team that, you know, really probably might have been the best team in the AFC. I know Pittsburgh had the had the number one seed, but. You know, this was an all-star team, and they needed some breaks. 
They got some breaks. They did. Um, but they had to move on the next week, and mm-hmm. they had to go face a Pittsburgh team that, um, you know, had some warts. I think uh, you know we all know what Cordell Stewart was, and you know what he ended up being. But also Jerome Bettis was a huge key to that to that team. And then you had you know two receivers um, that were you know thousand yard receivers. Of course, Plaxico Burris. Patriots fans became much more familiar with him down the road. Sadly, we yeah. we won't talk about that 07 season <laughs> here. Um, but I I think what what stood out to me most, and and I loved Lawyer Malloy's story. Nobody gave us a, a shot in hell to 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 beat the Steelers in Heinz Field. Like that just wasn't going to happen, and it was evident <clears throat> as soon as we flew over Pittsburgh. Like you know, it was, it was all yellow and gold um, uh, when we. You know, went out. To, I think we went out. Went out to breakfast. Me and Tom had a lot of time to talk, and it was just all the Steelers, you know, shit um, uh, being, you know, being worn. And you know, people were talking about the game, and you know, yeah, you know, this this, this new kid Brady, you know, uh, you know, he's good, but you know, he has no chance against our defense. Uh, you know, and he's sitting right there, you know, and I'm just, you know, we're just soaking it in. Me and I remember me and Brady just like soaking in the atmosphere or whatever, and. And um, I was like, man, see, this is this is what it's all about, bro. Again, that was uh, oh, taken yes. from Pat's from the past. And you can go to that and listen to his, you know, full edited uh, interview with, with Matt and, and Maury. Um, but kind of random, they would make the captains fly to the city, yeah. sit, you know, have to go through a media day and, and then fly back. But the story of, of Malloy talking about him and Brady sitting there and listening to all these Steeler fans chirp. Uh, it, it certainly must have. I, I, you had a motivated Patriots team that believed in themselves, but mm. it sounded like the whole lead up to that game, from all the terrible towels everywhere they went, to the passionate Pittsburgh fans, to, you know, of course, we know teams have to pack up. They have to make plans. You had a one week turnaround to go right. to the Super Bowl. Right. Um, you can take it however you want, as, oh, they don't even, they're thinking, they're like, well, it's probably a logistics thing. I mean, I know. Talking to Paul, it was like you flew back here and then you flew right to New Orleans. Right. Um, so those things might have been blown up a little bit. But overall, I think this was a Patriots team that made the most of those things and those little slights and those little worthy underdog mentality. Back then, they really were the underdogs oh, and they yeah. embraced it fully. Absolutely. And I think we saw around the middle of this 2021 season, we saw a little bit of that where, you know, hey, things are breaking their way. You know, we'll take the wins where we can get them. They're scrappy. They're, they, you know, other factors are playing into why other teams who, who may be better are not playing as well. And so you can understand why there was that natural sort of correlation between this year, this past season of 2021 and 20 years ago in 2001. Um, but, you know, obviously the difference was you had a quarterback who none of us knew at the time was going to be considered the greatest ever. Uh, and again, I think you had a lot more talent on that 2001 team than we gave them probably credit for at the time. Didn't realize it. Didn't really realize or appreciate just how how good a team that really was. And they would go on to prove it, obviously, by winning three out of four um, in, in the ensuing years. But I love that story, too, about uh, him and, and Brady going out to breakfast uh, in Pittsburgh and nobody knowing recognizing them and they're talking about him right next to him and I, I could just picture him saying I'm sitting right here <laughs> right you know and Lawyer Malloy I mean he'd been in the league for a few years sure. he was a known player like yeah. they at least should have kind of known who Lawyer Malloy was but this game to me um, again and you just you talk about things that from this season that foreshadowed kind of ways of winning or you know team composition or, or things that would echo through the next 20 years and, and I really look at this as 
Troy Brown, special teams. All right, Josh Miller set to kick it away. Back at the 45 is Troy Brown. Miller punting right to left. Handles the snap and gets the kick away. This one is returnable, coming right to Troy Brown at the 45. He heads left to the 50. Straight up the middle of the 45. To the 40. To the 35. To the 30. 25. 15. 10. 5. He's in. Touchdown. Touchdown. Touchdown, Troy Brown. You could just see it coming all the way up the middle where he always goes. This is the game where... You had a real good defense in Pittsburgh. You knew that it was going to be tough. I think the game ended. We were on defense. They were in two minutes. Uh, kind of Cordell was kind of scrambling out, or we'd forced him out of the pocket, and I was kind of chasing him over to the sideline towards the end of the game, and he kind of threw it out of bounds or something, and I was near that sideline, and, you know, I kind of saw some smirks on the faces. And, you know, I mean, just, you know, I think it was pretty cool, and I had never played it. You know, that was the first year back in Heinz Field didn't play in Heinz Field, you know, and so that that was pretty unique to go back to Pittsburgh and to be able to, to win the AFC Championship game in a place that I had played in for four years. Of course, we, we have to talk about the Bledsoe element of it, which, oh yeah, you know, just becomes uh, just incredibly poetic for him. And a poetic, you talk about a poetic ending for Old Foxborough Stadium, Shaver Stadium, Sullivan Stadium, exactly. whatever you want to call it. All the iterations. But Drew Bledsoe, uh, you know, comes in, Brady goes down with an injury. Drew throws a touchdown uh, to David Patton. You know he and, and I know Tommy Kern in the podcast says the Patriots survived Drew Bledsoe that day. After that, quite honestly, I'm not going to romanticize it the way so many people have over the years. But the Patriots survived Drew Bledsoe in the AFC Championship. He hit Joey Porter between the fives. He threw a backwards over the head, falling down pass that also could have been picked and would have been if people actually expected the ball to come popping out. You've got every bit of evidence as to why Drew Bledsoe was valuable, tough, could make some throws, and why he was never going to get his job back. Some ridiculously bad decisions. But it was um, a great team win, as you pointed out. He certainly made enough positive plays that he had an impact. Ooh. He did have some narrow misses with some mistakes that, that might have changed the game. But luckily, the football gods were on our side that day. Um, you know, just what did it mean for you? Because, I mean, for me, as a, you know, Drew Bledsoe turned this franchise around. I mean, I remember being in high school, having sat through the early 90s, the one, two win seasons. And when you finally had Drew Bledsoe, a quarterback, it just it gave you a reason to tune in, to be excited. He had. You know, the big game against the Vikings in, I think, 94 season. I was at that game, actually, as a fan. <laughs> you know, these games yeah. that really just made you feel like, hey, we're an NFL franchise now. And, yes. and I think everybody, as great as you felt for Tom Brady and, and everything that Tom Brady became, you had a lot of special feelings for Drew Bledsoe. And I think for him to be able to get that opportunity to come in, to contribute, to really be able to say – we wouldn't have won the Super Bowl without Drew Bledsoe. And, and I think that that's what you know this game really said to me. And, and I love what, what Paul had to say because he was as big a Drew Bledsoe fan as there was. I think I've already explained how Drew was, was one of my favorites. I really enjoyed um, covering him. That's really why I became a season ticket holder long before I ever started working here was the day they signed Drew Bledsoe, that they drafted Drew Bledsoe one overall back in 93. So he goes back in the game, and now all I'm thinking is, oh, God. Now, like, this, th this run, which I, which I thought was inevitably going to come to an end that day anyway, now they're going to get to blame Drew. Like, if Tom didn't get hurt, everything would have been great, and now it's all going to be Drew's fault, and I was a bundle of nerves. And I know you're not supposed to be when you're covering the game. You're supposed to be impartial and all that crap. Well, yeah, throw that all out the window. I was just I, – I, I wanted to puke is what I – it was, it was probably the best way to describe it. And he comes out, 
four plays, touchdown. It was like pass, pass, run, gets lit up on the sideline, touchdown pass. And all of the passes were darts. I mean, he came in on fire. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. You know, for him to kind of experience that special moment of Drew coming in and his teammates being so happy for him and the fans being so happy for him, um, between special team scores with Troy and, and, and Drew, th- this game, again, it was another iconic game that, that stood out and, and has a place in Patriots history. Oh, absolutely. And I think it was, uh, again, poetic justice that Drew got to play the bulk of that game. The overwhelming majority of that game was Drew's because um, Brady got hurt very early yeah, on. Mid-second quarter yeah. or so. So it was mostly Drew, and it, it, like you said, he felt like he contributed to that ring that he got because that's the only ring he got in his career. And it's ironic that the guy who was your franchise quarterback wasn't the reason why they won the Super Bowl, but he was certainly, I think, a major part of why they got to the Super Bowl because without a backup quarterback like him coming in, they probably don't win that game. And... I was scared to death, not that he was in the game. I was scared to death when he took a hit on the sideline that looked a lot like the one he took against the Jets in that second game. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, please don't let it happen again. And he pops right up and runs back to the huddle. Almost like more invigorated. Almost more invigorated. (laughs) And the touchdown pass he throws to Patton was, again, more foreshadowing of something to come uh, only a week later in the Super Bowl course it would be Brady throwing at that time but it was again Patton that route that corner of the end zone the same direction too just everything about it just seemed like it was meant to be which is why after they won that game Deuce and you only had the one week in between which was very unusual uh in NFL history I felt so good on Super Bowl Sunday about the Patriots chances of beating the Rams after I had said, I know I had said with my buddy that they were never going to win a game again, but after f- seeing everything that happened since eight that day. Wins. Eight straight wins. I just felt like this is meant to be. It's 9-11. It, it, they're called it's the Patriots. Pointing. It's all pointing. It's the third time they've been to the Super Bowl in New Orleans. So my oldest brother uh, kept on saying you know, through the whole playoffs, uh, you know, you're going to the Super Bowl. It's destiny. It's you're going there. I'm telling you, you're going there. It's destiny. You guys are going. The Patriots, red, white, and blue team. After this, after this last year, you know, it's 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 meaningful. Third time's the charm. They get a rematch against the the Rams. It has to be. It just has to be. And I was like. They're not going to lose this game. I knew it going driving into my television station that day. They weren't going to win that game. And that's where I, I watched the Super Bowl from my station because I was producing our coverage from back there. The ending to me was as special as any ending for for personal reasons too. So yeah, um, well, well, well we can get into yeah, that. Yeah, well, we'll move into it. Um, you know, for me, I was I was living in L.A. still, and uh, I remember going to my friend's house in Hollywood. His or his house, his apartment, La Vista Terrace, uh, up up in Hollywood. Remember watching it. I mean, he. I grew up with this guy. He didn't know anything about football. I had my reversible Drew Bledsoe jersey on. <laughs> Remember that? I was ready. It was hard, though, because, as you mentioned, the, the previous two Super Bowl appearances, and, you know, I was a young kid when they got blown out by the Bears. I was in college when, you know, they almost kind of hung in there for a little bit with the Packers, and the Packers kind of pulled away. Um, so in some ways, I th- I felt going in, I'm like, we're probably going to get hammered again. <laughs> you know, this is this is how it seems to go. But at the same time, like you said, 
there was just so much magic around this team, and 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 that's why it's it's great to be able to have produced this project. But I don't think I could do it for the 03, the 04 season. They're just you know certainly amazing seasons. But when you look back at all the different moments throughout the season, as, as we've touched, and this is part of the reason why I wanted to, you know, do a final episode to really just kind of bring them all together. Um, it did feel like, hey, something's kind of pointing our way. And and I think when it started the way it did and obviously the Ty Law, you know, pick six, which was another iconic moment of, of this season. And Warner goes back to throw and here's the blitz by Mike Rabel. The pass is intercepted. Picked off by Ty Law. 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Ty Law picks it off and takes it to the house. And the Patriots take the lead with 8.49 to go in the first half. Uh, you started to build a lead, but it's almost like the NFL today where you got a lead on Patrick Mahomes. How many you got 30 points on them? Because if you only have 14 to 20, they're gonna make a push. And it felt like throughout the game, as well as they were playing, it was just a matter of time before the Rams started to get it going. And I don't think anybody really could have uh anticipated that it would have happened quite as easily as it did at the end of the game, where it was basically bing bang boom, bing bang boom. Right. And it's a tie game. Um, setting up, you know, obviously one of the early Moments of Tom Brady's career. I mean, arguably the moment that he became, uh, you know, a star or, uh, you know, obviously at the very least a Super Bowl champion. Um, But how did you feel going into that final drive? Wow. Uh, Just back up real quick to that, uh, the the, the lead, um, which should have been 21 points because the Tabucky Jones fumble recovery. Great Paul Perillo story there, too, about getting a hurricane dumped on his that. So we're outside in the auxiliary press box, which at the Superdome at the time, you just in a in a in a section of the stands that's just media. Um, you know, when the place is going berserk as Tabucky Jones is running down the sideline, there were a ton of Patriots fans there. Um, and he's coming down the sideline, he's running, and I'm just I just stood up and I had my two hands over my head with the number one sign up, and I'm jumping up and down. I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I this is my team was gonna win the Super Bowl. And I didn't care that I was a member of the media. I didn't care who wanted to look at me and, and, you know, give me the stink eye. It didn't matter to me. And then I realized the flag was there. And some drunk, like, ended up dumping up one of those Pat O'Brien hurricanes all over me. So, like, not only did I lose my professionalism in in the spur of the moment, the flag takes it back. So my team hasn't won now. And I was sticky the whole rest of the game. So it was a three-time loser for for me but obviously we know how the game ended if they don't call the holding penalty on mcginnis which it was i mean they were killing they were killing marshall absolutely was all game long but like a lot of times those those calls don't get made so if they allow that play to stand the rams don't come back the rams are demoralized so that was a huge turning point for the rams i think it gave the rams hope because they scored like the next play or two plays later whatever it was and they were right back in it but as you know, Deuce, uh, when I was growing up and playing sports, I was a kicker. I went from soccer to football, but made the transition <laughs> as seamlessly as you could, soccer player to kicker and punter, um, to see it actually happening before my eyes, thinking a kicker is going to win the Super Bowl for the Patriots. I and cannot, it's not me. <laughs> I, well, I, yeah, I was jealous of Adam Vinatieri for sure, big time. <laughs> but I'm thinking, I, I'm thinking like I willed this into existence. Yeah. They're going to win this way. They're going to win by a kicker winning the Super Bowl for the Patriots. 
And it was a long kick, too. It wasn't a chip shot. It was 47 yards, I think, mm-hmm. 48. It wasn't a chip shot. And I'm thinking, this is too unreal. But he's going to make it. I just knew he was going to make it. Ken Walter will hold. Lonnie Paxton will snap from the far hash mark. Angle to the left for Adam Vinatieri. 48-yard field goal attempt. Set to go. Snap ball down. Kick up. Kick is on the way. And it is good. It's good. It's good. Adam Vinatieri booms a 48-yard field goal. And the game is over. And the Patriots are Super Bowl champions. The Patriots are Super Bowl champions. The best team in the National Football League. Adam Vinatieri. 48 oh, yards. Oh, baby. The mystery to me was how seven seconds got, got ticked off the clock because it's <laughs> no matter how long it was, that doesn't take that long for a field goal to be made. Uh, right. But, hey, I'll take it. They yeah. won the game in dramatic fashion, everybody running onto the field. And I remember literally leaping up and down through the halls of my TV station. And one of the, my friends that used to go on those road trips with us was sitting there with this huge grin watching me, literally almost hitting my head on the ceiling. I was like jumping up and down, exulting like I have never before for a win. Before then or since, I've never been more ecstatic about a Patriots win than that game. What a, what a play, I mean, by Adam Vinatieri. I mean, just, I know Bill Belichick has said over the years that you know he felt like Adam was their best player. Um, and he almost didn't believe it because I think by that point, you had developed so much trust in him as a player, as a fan, you know, even, you know, being I wasn't hardcore, I got to watch every snap of every game back then that, that obviously I became and, and am. But you just, there was a swagger about Vinatieri that yeah. you just had such confidence in him. And, you know, that moment when it went through, great to talk to, you know, the guys about Antoine Smith, especially, who I think, you know, happens to like run into the frame, like high step, high knees, yep. high stepping it oh, in. Oh, yeah. I think I'm about 30 yards behind the ball, so I'm, I'm back there so I can see it. And as the kick is in the air, I'm kind of shuffling on the field, looking at it to make sure that it goes through. And when it went through, I just it was just raw emotions first. The first thing I could think of is just to run out there on the field. And, you know, that moment was captured me just running out there, high-stepping, Throwing my arms in the air like, yeah, we are world champs. We did won the Super Bowl. To hear talking to these guys throughout the project, throughout the project, how much it still means to them to be a champion, to to have won with this group of guys, and and the bond that it forms between them. Uh, you can just hear it in their voice, uh, how they talk about it, how they talk about their teammates, and. Um, it might have been Damian Woody, I think, who said, you know, once you're in this group, you're in it for life. Yeah, you know what? It, it's um, I always said that playing in the NFL, you're part of a fraternity, a small fraternity. But when you win a Super Bowl, you're part of a, 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 a special fraternity within a fraternity because not everybody can say that they were champions. And all I've always said during those years, those champions, those early years, championship years, all the the grind and the sweat and the doubt and everything that went in went through it to feel that confetti come down on your head multiple times there's not a better feeling in the world uh such a perfect ending but it felt like it was all kind of building to that and and now in retrospect and even probably right after the kick went through the uprights you felt like that's it that made sense this is how it was supposed to go all along through all the ups and downs and you know, now you look at that season in retrospect, and it's 
the mo- one of the most remarkable seasons in, in sports history with all the yeah. with everything that that happened. I, I just I don't know how you could ever quite have everything happen like that for one team with so many ups and downs and drama and people getting hurt and national tragedies and a coach passing away and, you know, everything that you talk about. And then not only that, but little did we know at the time that this was kind of what we were about to sign up for (laughs) for the next 20 years um, and become spoiled. But at that time, it was all new to you. The Patriots won the Super Bowl. Uh, And – I thought it was our one and only chance in my lifetime. I really did. That's that was what made it even more special to me was that like I had like you know it, it, you're right about all the things coming together and it almost felt like it makes you believe in a higher power if you don't already. And I would pray like just let me see one Super Bowl win, please. That's all I'm asking for as a Patriots fan, just one. And this was it. And I said, I can die a happy man now. I've seen the Patriots win a Super Bowl. They're never going to do it again. I know that. That's fine. But they did it once, and they did it in such dramatic fashion, and it was meant to be for all those reasons that you just enumerated. I'll take it. It's the one and only time we're ever going to be here and do this, so let's just exult in it. Let's enjoy it because we're never going to see this again. And I was so happy to be wrong. And uh, that, that night, February 3rd, 2002, uh, exactly 20 years to the day that we're releasing this podcast. Um, it's it's almost, I almost feel deuce like I did in that snow globe game against the Raiders where it almost feels like this 20 years that have gone by have been a dream that I really don't want to wake up from. You know, did we really just have a 20-year run of success? Did we really just win six Super Bowls in that time? Did we really have the greatest coach, the greatest quarterback, the greatest kicker, the greatest tight end of all time on our team? We're now the team that people love to hate because we win so much? We're the Cowboys, Steelers, Niners, Raiders. We're that team? Yep. We're that organization? We have six Super Bowls, as many as any other team that's tied with the Steelers? Like, this is not real. I'm dreaming, right? Yeah. And now... Four years after that Super Bowl, uh, I started working for this organization and was able to be part of half of the Super Bowl run of success and three. And it just seems like it's almost hard to believe 20 years have gone by. And now it feels like after the end of this 2021 season, we're into 2022, the calendar year and soon to be the season, the team building period. Who knows what the next 20 years are going to bring, but... It feels like the start of a new chapter in Patriots history for real now, especially having this past season played against Tom Brady as a Buccaneer. He's officially moved on. We've had the closure of that era gone by. We have Mac Jones, and who knows how long Mac Jones's career will last, what he'll end up becoming. But I think we can appreciate at least what Mac did this past season as a rookie because it's important to remember Brady wasn't a rookie. He was in his second year, and I think it's important to make yeah, that, that distinction. Absolutely. You know, how would, how would you know, Brady have played in 2000 if he were thrust into it? Would he have done that? Would he have won the Super Bowl? I don't know. But we're in a new era now, and I think this 2021 season puts a nice bow on the era that was with uh, Brady and, and the Super Bowl wins. Yeah, I just I love, I love you brought up, you know, Mac in, in 2021, and, and that's how just to kind of wrap it up um, – you know, I look at where they went 
from 2001 and, and how they built around Brady? Because I think that's what a lot of people are wondering now. Like, how do we build around Mac? And, you know, you look at the drafting of Dion Branch the next year. You know, you get a guy, David Givens. You know, you start to add pieces around that, that play towards his strengths. But I also think that every year they knew they had to change. And some years it was better than others. But, you know, 2004, you bring in Corey Dillon. You're yeah. coming off a Super Bowl championship. Um, but I think that that, you know, kind of mode and development – it's important. I think you have a different kind of perspective on the defense now where, you know, that defense in 2001, you had a lot of experienced guys that had played in 96 in a Super Bowl and had been around and had played under Pete Carroll and it had some ups and downs. Uh, and then when you got to those points, those guys were all coming into their prime. Teddy Bruschi, Mike Vrabel, Willie McGinnis. These are, you know, th that defense. I mean, I, I sometimes look back at, at going into games from, you know, 2001 to 2004, say, and just knowing our defense is going to beat them up, they're going to beat them up bad because that's the attitude uh, that they played with and the experience and, you know, just the overall balance of the defense. And I think that's something that, you know, going forward you have to look at a little bit because I think that this defense, as much as you want to, you know, just kind of say, oh, it's a veteran defense like 2001, I, you know, I think some of these pieces are, are older. They're not in their prime like the McGinnis and the Brewskis were in 2001. Uh, but, of course, you have Richard Seymour, Christian Barmore. You have young kind of young pieces and I think those are those are the ones that they have to kind of continue to build certainly no two seasons are alike but you can definitely draw some comparisons between where that team kind of went how they tried to move on from you know winning a Super Bowl to you know continuing to win Super Bowls and you know what this team has to do now yeah and I'd, I'd also add that it's important to note that 20 years is a significant amount of time in football terms the game has changed in two decades the style of play is different than it was 20 years ago. Um, it, we saw it firsthand in uh, the wild card loss in Buffalo and then the subsequent divisional round Buffalo loss to Kansas City. Uh, defense more important than ever against the type of quarterback that you're going to be facing more and more. The athletic guy, the big guy who can throw, who can run, who's going to run you over at times. And is going to make clutch plays. You have to play a different style of defense. You have to have different types of players. You know, w would the Patriots, as talented as they were in 2001, would that defense have been able to keep up with the Mahomeses or the Josh Allens or the offenses that are like more like the Rams were back then, uh, but it's more prevalent, and the, the, the quarterbacks are different. You know, they're not just pocket passers. They're guys that can do everything. So it's, it's, a, it's a new era in the NFL, and it's a new era for the Patriots. I'm... I'm excited to see where the next 20 years take us. What you saw were the seeds of all the Patriot championship teams. Offensively, yes, it was Tom, but there was always an unbelievable and a lot of ways undefensible, at least for first downs, to pick up slot receiver. So Troy Brown begat Wes Welker, begat Julian Edelman. That's a hallmark for the two decades of, of Patriots' brilliance. They're a team that, that valued special teams then and now. They were a team that played unbelievably coached defense, witnessed the play by Malcolm Butler against the Seahawks on the goal line. Um, you know, here's a play they, they kind of run. They coach that. Nobody does that. So the seeds, looking back, were... Of all the Patriots' two decades of brilliance, they had probably all their other teams were more talented than this one overall, although this had some 
unbelievable talent, needless to say, but a lot of them were really young. And they had a coaching staff that, that all worked, that, that got it, and they rarely beat themselves. That was the case in 01, and that was the case two decades later. Can't get enough Patriots 2001 content? Relive the historic year by following the Patriots Time Machine, a social media account 20 years after its time, following the Patriots 2001 season as if it were happening live. See daily transactions, watch game highlights, and go back in time to the start of the Patriots Super Bowl dynasty. Follow along on Twitter and Instagram at Pat's Time Machine.